Welcome to Building the Future. I'm your host, Kevin Horick. You can check out new episodes of the show every Tuesday and Thursday at 2 p.m. If you missed an episode or want to get more information about the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Jess Jacobs. She's an actress, producer, and advocate. Jess, welcome to the show. Hello, Kevin. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. You're, you're doing a bunch of things in a bunch of kind of innovative spaces. But maybe before we kind of get into that, let's get to know you a little mm-hmm. bit better and kind of start off with where you grew up. Yeah, absolutely. So I was born in San Diego, California, which, by the way, I just didn't know how beautiful of a place San Diego is until I left it. <laughs> sure. Sort of like one of those things that I lived in a bubble. Right? I was like, oh, right, of course, this is my home. And then I brought some friends back there during college, and they were like, you grew up here? Get out. So uh, totally recognize how lucky I am, um, and it's a beautiful place. Uh, yeah, I love I that moved area. To... Right, it's gorgeous. Um, I moved to New York for college. Uh, when I was 18, I went to NYU and I started in the acting department. I had wanted to, to go into acting professionally since um, I was 15. I booked my first job in San Diego doing some professional theater there and, and got my first paycheck. And my friends were scooping, you know, ice cream at Baskin Robbins and I was <laughs> I was on stage. That's and awesome. so it was sort of the bug bit me. <laughs> um, I, I came out here to do to do the theater um, conservatory. And after my first year was not super um, happy. And I think that I was really ready to enter the world. Okay. Um, so I ended up getting my degree in art history, stayed at NYU, but left the acting program and started working professionally in the city. Okay. I graduated and moved out to LA where I did a bit of film and TV work and, and was, was loving my life out there and was called back to New York uh, in 2015 um, by some by my reps. Um, moved back here and and have sort of been building this this life out here, you know, as n- not a college student anymore. Um, and really, sort of starting to situate myself in the world and, and figuring out exactly what it is that I, that I'd like to contribute. Sure. No, I I think that's great. I I love that kind of uh, kind of you you pick something, and then you you try it, and you're like, well, maybe I want to try something different. But I'm kind of curious to know what made you switch to art history? Because I find it fascinating personally, and I took some art history classes as well, but I'm always curious what made you kind of go into that? Yeah, so I mean, you know, when I was a really little girl, my grandmother used to take me to the museum um, and would use ice cream as a gift. <laughs> you know, it was like, oh, if you want ice cream, we got to go to the art museum first. And it was like, okay. And she would sort of drag me there. And um after a couple of years, it, it, I don't know if she was doing it on purpose or what, but it totally worked. And I have been very, very excited by the art world. I think having the understanding of a culture and of a movement based on the visual representation and the ways in which things are changing um, through the eyes of an artist, it's really, it's a very interesting way into the to, to history for me. Um, and I think, you know, as a content creator now, I'm really realizing that the kind of art that is made is is such a deep reflection of the way that people are talking on the ground, the way that things are happening politically. Um, If you look at the abstract expressionist movement after World War II or during and after World War II, um, you know, it it really, it showed that people were no longer able to feel that they were getting to um, 
express themselves and, and their anger and their frustration and their fear through a more naturalistic kind of thing. Or, I mean, it was impressionism before, but you know, it stopped being, um, it stopped being a picture related and started being more emotion related. And I think that that, you know, that's such a good reflection of the way that people were feeling during world war two, for example. Sure. No, I love that. That's cool. So you, you walk, yeah. You, you kind of you're doing a bunch of stuff in the kind of nonprofit space. You founded a kind of company. Kind of walk me through why did you kind of decide to start kind of a company and, and work in the nonprofit space? Yeah. So, you know, when when I moved back to uh, to New York, I was, and I mean, I, I still am, but was like really at that time, sort of at the top of my game as far as what I thought that I wanted. So, you know, I'd been been fighting for this career in, in the entertainment industry and I had reps that were really pushing me and getting me out for really great stuff. And I was finding myself not super happy. And uh, I, I wasn't really sure why that was. It sort of was like, but this is everything you've ever wanted. Um, and that was right around the time that Bernie and Hillary were, you know, fighting it out for, for the nomination. Sure. And I remember when she won and I you know, she was scheduled to give the speech that night and, and I was, you know, pleased. I, I like her. Um, you know, I supported her for, for a lot of reasons. I don't expect everybody to, you know, agree with them. Everybody has their own political views, but I was very excited by the fact that she had won. Sure. Um, and so I was looking forward to the speech, but in a, in a kind of casual way, you know? And, uh, so that night my roommate at the time and I sat up on the couch and we turned on the TV and Hillary stepped out onto the stage and I burst into tears and I just had no I just really couldn't have anticipated that um that that seeing her standing up there and accepting the nomination first woman for the president of the United States of America it was just in that moment I think that that really emotional response that I had helped me realize how crucial it is for every person uh, man woman child of every color religion creed to see somebody with whom they identify in a position of leadership Sure. for having the opportunities to succeed, for being recognized for their accomplishments. And it, it struck me that, that I, you know, I was working within an industry that doesn't always do the best job of, of representing human beings and their authenticity. Interesting. And so I had the, the sort of impulse to, to start producing content, which did that. And I happened to have met... Um, an incredible producer named Audrey Rosenberg, who is now my producing and business partner. Nice. Uh, she's been in the industry for 18 years, I think, oh, wow. um, about, and, uh, you know, been doing independent film, TV, doc producing. She's absolutely brilliant. And we, we clicked right away. I mean, we had this sort of similar mission. We were looking to work together on a project-by-project project basis, and it became super clear pretty quickly that we really were aligned in a lot of other spaces as well, um, in a lot of our beliefs and a lot of the potential that we saw for media to make a difference. Um, and, so we, and so we decided, I think it was December, we had a meeting which we call our I like you meeting in which we both sat down and, and had a conversation in which we were just effusive about how much we cared about each other and how much we liked working together, how much we wanted to build something together. And that was sort of the start of it. And then That's great. since then, you know, we've been in, in the formation process and, and really developing our slate. We have a couple of really exciting projects that we're looking forward to. Um, and I think also really important to, to note that there was a, an alignment between 
uh, Audrey and myself, which um, recognize the importance of, of work in the nonprofit sector and how you know non-government organizations and work with these kind of social justice uh, organizations and programs, how it really can be collaborative with the entertainment industry and how it doesn't have to be so segmented. And I, and I think it is a little bit that way right now. Okay. No, that's, that's interesting. So before we kind of get into maybe the nonprofit stuff, cause they, I get that they're kind of almost one in the same sometimes, or there, there's some overlap, but what exactly is the company and, and what did you got, what are you guys doing with it? Yeah, absolutely. So um, it's, it's a New York based female founded production company. Okay. We are creating film, TV, and digital content, and we're doing a little bit of work in the documentary space, but that's not our, our emphasis. Okay. Um, and we are focusing on stories, not normally represented dominant culture. Okay. And, and what that really means for us is that there are stories for and by people represented in the stories themselves. So we call it our inclusive development process, okay. which which is to say that any person or community which is being portrayed in character or you know in context in any story will will be a part of the process of creating the story itself, so that we are really representing people in their full experience of the world. No, that's great. So What's we, the company's call called? Sorry, you didn't. I don't think you mentioned that. Sure. So we're called Invisible Pictures. Okay. Uh, the name is, you know, we're sort of playing on the paradox. Uh, and it is this sort of idea that female power is this kind of invisible force that a okay, lot of ways in which you talk about are like you really notice it when it's missing. Sure. Um, that it's, it, there's a compassionate quality to it, a gentle quality to it. Um, it's very powerful. It's not to say that invisibility means that it's, that it's not seen. You know, like uh, that, or that we don't need it, or that it's that it's smaller, um, but that it really is. It, it kind of is is a calling to how powerful women have been. You know, not not have been have been told not to shine. I think by a lot of the structures um, and institutions that have been in place for a long time, and we're really excited about the opportunity to sort of disrupt that. No, I I think that's that's great. So. You have some kind of projects in the works. Do you, do you kind of want to elaborate on some of them, or is they still kind of a little hush hush? They are very hush hush, but I okay. can I can be broad, and, okay. and I I would be very happy to do that. I mean, I think you know we have a TV show that's that's uh, in the works, um, which uh, we have a director who's never directed for TV before, who's a, a big. Um, a big guy in the space. So we're really looking forward to working with him and really being able to bring something exciting and, and new um, from a structural and content perspective for, you know, to his over. Um, and we have a couple of films, all of which are dealing uh, at least three of them that were, you know, really in, in, in the process of putting together um, in a very serious way, uh, which all have female leads. Um, which are all women that we don't often see in positions of, you know, the, the leading woman. It's sort of a, a non-traditional approach to storytelling in that way. And a lot of it is recontextualizing the American um, expectation uh, for what our media normally looks like. Sure. Okay. So that is to say that, yeah, that they're, that they are characters which are, leading and revealing and and um 
offering a new perspective on some of the issues that we're dealing with in the country and in the world today. I think there's definitely an international appeal that I that I see our company having. Sure. No, I, I think that's great. And I, I love that. But I'm curious to know why New York out of or over L.A. to start mm-hmm. kind of a, a production company? Like, is was there like a big... Is one better than the other or you just pick New York or kind of what what was the reasoning behind kind of founding it there? You know, everybody asks us that and everybody <laughs> in L.A. is totally perplexed as to how we expect to operate out of New York City. And um, I think on one hand, there's a little bit of that intrigue. OK. You know, people are like, how are you doing that? So it is sort of a hook in a way. Interesting. Um, and I think that the other side of it is that it puts us, it's, we're, you know, we're close to Europe, we're close to DC. I think that it just, it gives us a bit of a global awareness. Um, you know, I've spent a lot of time living in, in LA and I love that. Obviously I'm from Southern California. I totally am all about the West coast vibe. Um, and I think that there's a way in which the entertainment industry is really so deeply entrenched in Los Angeles culture that uh, what we're trying to do in sort of like turning something on its head a little bit and being a little bit disruptive in a, in a very respectful way sure. and also just questioning the norms and questioning the expectations that being in a city where, you know, everybody in New York has a job. It's, it's <laughs> not this kind of like, sure. how, how are you involved in the entertainment industry? It's like, oh, you're in the entertainment industry. Cool. I'm a banker. Gotcha. Or, oh, cool. I'm in education. Or, you know, it just, it's, it's, a very integrated part of, of society here. Um, and I think that we really, we really like that. And we also are excited about the opportunity to collaborate cross industry. So it's really fun here to be able to work with, like I said, nonprofits also, you know, with, with, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're talking right now to an organization to create an educational product in VR possibly for them. And so, you know, we're doing education, we're in tech, we're in media and entertainment, we're in, you know, it's just, we, we get to work in a lot of different spaces. And I think that that's really exciting for us. No, that, that makes sense. I'm always kind of curious. And I know like LA has a good tech scene, but so does New York, right? Mm-hmm. And kind of, it, it's yeah. just different, right? No, that's, that's interesting. I'm always kind of curious more for my own self curiosity, I think, but sure. <laughs> so you're, you're also playing in the, the not-for-profit space and you're involved in a few. Can you maybe kind of cover exactly what you're doing in, in that space as well? Yeah, absolutely. So I would say that the project that um, I'm, I'm most excited about and that I'm working on, I think the most heavily right now, is a project with the Maverick Collective, which is um, a sort of a, it's an organization under the umbrella of PSI, which is Population Services International. It's an NGO that operates out of D.C. and works in, I believe, it's 67 countries around the world. They oh, have wow. field offices. Um, the Maverick Collective was co-founded by Melinda Gates and Met Merritt, of Crown Princess of Norway. That's cool. Um, and, this, and a woman named Kate Roberts, who is the VP at PSI. And what they were really looking to do was to offer a space for women to come and to use funding and to use skills to develop a project that maybe is a little bit riskier, that somebody like, you know, a traditional donor like USAID um, would not be as interested in in funding because they want to see more of a return. They're they are less they're more risk averse, I suppose. Okay. Um, and so being able to bring in women who have a certain skill set who are able to sort of think differently about the issues that are that are you know presenting some of their some of the countries in which PSI works 
uh, is part of the reason why the Maverick Collective was started. And, and it's certainly the reason why I was excited by the opportunity. So I'm working on a project right now, um, co-designing a space for adolescent girls aged 14 to 24 in Cote d'Ivoire. Okay. So we'll be working in Abidjan, which is the capital. Um, and after the Civil War, there was uh, a huge um, issue with, with reproductive health access for young people. The maternal mortality rate spiked. Um, and we saw a lot of opportunity to, to go in and really rebuild um, some of the clinics and, and some of uh, the, the spaces for women to, to come together. And I think also dealing with the fact that there is such a high cellular penetration rate, which basically means that there are cell phones everywhere. Sure. Um, and so young girls of that age are, are as far away from their mothers technologically as we were or are from our great grandmothers. Interesting. So there is this sort of sense that they have access to information, but they don't know how to filter it. Their mothers are having, a, you know, a hard time sort of articulating that and, and, you know, figuring out how to maintain traditional values with all of this access that's happening. And so what we're really hoping to do, and we're very much in the project design phase right now. So I'm going out to Cote d'Ivoire in October. We'll sit down with a bunch of girls. We're using a human-centered design approach, which basically is actually very similar to my production company's inclusive development process, which is to say that the girls that will be served by this program are going to be a part of the design process of the program itself. Oh, very cool. So... Yeah, so we'll go out there and start that process. But what we're hoping to be able to provide is a space for them to develop aspirational thinking so that when they have sex, they don't think of it as a transactional thing, but they can think about how their sexual and reproductive health and activity fits into their greater goals for their lives. Sure. And then to create a sort of network of these young girls so that they have people to talk to, so that they have a community that they don't feel that they're being stifled by, you know, mothers or, or grandmothers. Um, and also to, to have an educational component so that they have information that is accurate and not necessarily, you know, it's this kind of thing like when we go and Google, you know, I have a, my left ankle aches and sure. WebMD says you have cancer. You know, it's like this yep. kind of thing. Yep. And so, you know, really giving them accurate information. And then also there is a project that's being funded right now by the Dutch government that's a concurrent project which is staffing out um, clinics and, and really making sure that they have all of the, the highest um, health technologies for these uh, girls and women. And so working with them to do some clinic referrals um, to make sure that the girls are going to youth-friendly clinics where they're not being told, you know, what they should do with their bodies um, based on a set of biases that are held by the clinic, the, the, the folks who run the clinics. Um, so, th so that, I mean, that's the goal. And, and you know, Stay tuned because as, as we develop um, some of this stuff, I think there will be a lot of insights that I'm also able to bring back to the state sure. um, and that I'm really interested in from an advocacy perspective and starting to think about young women uh, and, and sexual health. Sure. No, I, I think that's great. And the other thing, too, that I think just even getting people to talk about what's similar and different between kind of North America and the rest of the world, right? Because as mm -hmm. we're, we become more and more of like a global economy and, and a lot of people I have on the show are, are kind of a, a little bit more on the tech space. And, and, and I like having people like yourself that, you know, do tech in, in certain projects if it's needed, but also to get people to think about kind of people outside of kind of their, you know, area or, or North America. And, 
You, you brought up something mm -hmm. that I think some people don't think about all the time is like just how people access information in the internet. Like if the only yeah. way, like there's certain people on the planet that will only ever see the internet on a phone, right? And a, and a yeah. crappy phone, right? It's not the nice uh -huh. like $1,200 iPhone that we, that some of us buy new every year, right? Like, and like, right. I kind of say it jokingly, but I, I don't mean it. Like, I think just getting people to think about no, these challenges kind of globally, right? Whether it's something as, as serious as kind of, you know, um, p women's health or just the health of people or, you know, just kind of how they access information, getting them the proper information. You know, I, I think that stuff's super important, right? And, and being able to kind yeah. of have people like yourself on the show to help promote that and get people thinking about that is super important, or at least in my opinion, it's super important. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think that, too, there's an opportunity sort of to meld these two things that you're talking about as far as digital content is yeah. concerned. Because a lot of people are, are starting to think, you know, in, in, the, in the very traditional, you know, entertainment space, are starting to think about ways to create content which is short form, so it's, you know, easily consumable, um, sort of bite-sized, and, and is distributable in sort of multiple platforms that it's shareable on social media that it, it lives on a website which is accessible by phone, that the, you know, the production value and the amount of money, at least right now, I think that this will probably change as things go on. And I know that there are some really uh, powerful and interesting people in this space that are looking to really take TV quality um, and, and put it in, in digital. But right now, you know, it's, it's a little bit cheaper um, because you're not watching it on a big screen with a big fancy sound system. You're watching it on your phone, exactly what you're talking about, and maybe a crappy phone at that, like you said. Um, and, and to really have uh, content which, where, where the messaging is dealt with responsibly. Sure. Because if people across the world are watching, you know, whatever's on YouTube or, you know, YouTube Red, um, there's, you know, Go90, there's uh, Refinery29, there's so many different people working in the space that are starting studios and creating this kind of content, um, that that stuff will, will become a part of, the the sort of conversation that we're having socially, politically, globally about uh, different issues, whether or not it's issue-based content. Sure. Because the people that are represented in these kinds of uh, shows and series are, are 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 internalized, I think, by the audiences, especially because we're so used to sort of seeing um, both reality style non-scripted content on our phones especially on facebook um and as facebook launches their original series platform watch i think that that's going to be i'm very excited to see where that goes um but you know i i i'm i'm very excited about the potential for digital media to really spread awareness about different kinds of uh, points of view, a different perspective, to really create a global community online through the accurate representation of people that are unlike oneself or from a different country or, you know, a different sort of background. Sure. No, I, I love that. And the thing that always kind of shocked me within the last, I think, year or so, I, I can't remember, somebody was telling me that, like, their, their kids that were kind of, you know, I, I think, like, maybe around 10-ish or 13, something like that, like kind of that like uh -huh. young, like almost like preteen, whatever, that they they named some like famous like A-list movie star and their kids had no idea who they were, but you named like a some sort of YouTube celebrity that I, I hadn't even heard of at the time. 
they were like, well, that person's like famous, right? And this other person who's been in like blockbuster A-list type movies for decades, never even heard of, right? But I think the point I'm trying to get across is what I found fascinating about that is you can create this content online and I think younger generations might never even see kind of like a Hollywood blockbuster or something like that where you have these people online that they like trust and can get kind of good content from whether it's for entertainment or learning or kind of both online like I think we're at the kind of beginning of that right and I like you mentioned there's there's companies out there doing it but I think we're kind of at the beginning of that and so I love kind of that you guys are playing in that space and you know are going to be creating content in this space I, I love that Absolutely. Well, I think, you know, I think it's what you're, there's two things sort of about what you're saying that are really interesting to me. One is from an entertainment perspective, uh, the turnaround for for short form content and content on digital is so much quicker. So you can be really responsive. You know, there's all these shows on YouTube that are like, you know, after Game of Thrones gets, you know, like two hours later, there's a, there's a response show up. And I forget the names of the guys, but actually there was just a New York Times article about them how they've, you know, created this empire basically responding to TV shows on YouTube and that the viewership sometimes for their for those shows is higher than for, for Game of Thrones, which I think is hilarious and so fascinating. Totally. And I think that the other yeah, and I think the other thing that's really sort of uh, illuminating about what you're saying is that I think that if you ask any young kid who is Wonder Woman, mm-hmm. they would know. If you ask any young kid who is Gal Gadot, they would say, or Gadot, I actually don't know how you say her last name, which sure. is a little embarrassing, but um, they'd say, I don't know who that is. Yep. You know? And I, that to me is fascinating because you have a time where, you know, we always used to think of celebrity culture and Hollywood culture as sort of intertwined. Yep. And I think that Hollywood now is becoming really a storytelling mechanism and less of a star-making mechanism. Totally. And that the digital space is really star making and maybe in, in TV a little bit still, but not, I mean, not really network so much. And there's been a lot of conversation recently, which, you know, I don't, I don't really have an, an official point of view on, but sure. um, about, you know, whether cable is becoming obsolete or not and, and how it's going to be able to compete with streaming services and digital services. And so I think we're starting to see, again, to talk about responsibility, um, these, you know, young people that are making a lot of content and that are being, you know, really focused in the space, starting to think about the ways in which their stories and their reach um, is, is, is impactful on this sort of celebrity scale in this really like role model kind of way. Totally. Yeah, it, it is fascinating to me because like I'm, I'm 34. So I'm kind of like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm like a millennial, but like just a millennial. So I, I kind of Some of the millennial stuff, I'm just like, I don't understand. But then there's other parts of it I do. But but the thing that I find kind of interesting, and and to your point a second ago, was like, I still kind of remember pre-internet. And obviously, I I work online, Uh so I I remember kind of both. So it's interesting to watch... Um, you know, the, the kind of dynamic between the two. And, and to your point a second ago about like kind of cable companies, like wh- where they're going to fit or not fit. And it, it's interesting because I, I don't know if you're familiar, but like with YouTube TV, where it's like their YouTube's like streaming live TV service yeah, and like YouTube PVR. Red. Yeah, well, no, they have another one called YouTube TV too, which includes YouTube Red. Oh, but it's like live streaming TV and it's only in like 12 cities or something in America. 
But what I really oh, like cool. about it is you have access to the YouTube Red content. You have access to live content. You have access to kind mm-hmm. of the old or like old ver- old shows. Um, you know, like the seasons, you know, they have pretty much the whole season um, or past seasons. And then you also have yeah. kind of you can search and then it will show you like YouTube stuff as well. And then it's like a PVR in the cloud. So you kind of have almost the best of kind of a bunch of the worlds coming All together. And world. it's it's only yeah. been I think it launched in like March or April of this year. So it's still like pretty new and they're still kind of. You know, I think there's only like 50 stations or, or something like that, which is still pretty good. But it, it's interesting to see okay. the colliding of kind of the two spaces in, in kind of one interface. And so I think uh-huh. just being able to find content in almost like one interface or online is always kind of interesting to me because I could watch almost like, say, a big Hollywood blockbuster or a big kind of primetime TV show. And then right after that, I can watch kind of like a show that maybe like my neighbor made on YouTube and I have no idea he's my neighbor, right? And and just how it doesn't really matter, right? Where the content's right, created. Right, there's no distinction exactly. necessarily. And like I look at my two kids when they're older, they're not going to know, right? Like whether something costs uh-huh. millions of dollars or some guy shot that with his phone, right? Right. I mean, right. I mean, if, if, if the content is interesting and entertaining enough, it doesn't seem to matter terribly much. Yeah. Um, especially for, you know, for the generation, I guess, after I just read something recently, I can't remember the name of it, but it's like after 95, there's like this 95 to 2000 and they're calling it this. They're, they're sort of segmenting that population as, as a generation because it's the first generation to have ever grown up uh, with own, like without ever remembering a time without cell phones. Totally. And I think when you have those, you know, as, as those, I have, my brother was born in 1995. So, you know, as he grows up and as he starts to really enter the world as, as a, a real, you know, career man and, and all this stuff, um, that's going to be his sensibility. Totally. And I think that it's as, as a content creator, you know, thinking about my audience first is, is I think the takeaway from what you're saying. Yeah. That if I'm aware of who's watching, I can create content for them and I can sort of I can mold and shift my my budgets and my stories and my stars, and all of that stuff for uh, for my audience. Totally. Well, and then you have exciting. And and then you also have like a global audience. Right. Because it's obviously it's obviously easier to get, I don't know, like hypothetically a million views when you're targeting the entire world than you know, maybe just like a small city or, or like even your state or, or whatnot, right? Like, so I think just right. people thinking kind of a bit bigger and creating content kind of for, for that kind of global kind of audience makes, or it kind of is intriguing to me, but, but I'm curious though to know your thoughts on, because obviously we've kind of covered this digital content space, but like how do you guys create content that's compelling and, and people want to watch like is there kind of things that you're trying or, or what kind of tactics are you guys using when you're deciding what kind of content to actually create it's a really interesting question because i think as the space is changing we are having to find ourselves being flexible and malleable um and responding to the platforms themselves okay um i think it also is to say different studios on different things so if we're going to somebody like a first look media we you know they're they are uh, their platform is called topic 
and you know, the kind of stuff that they're looking for is very different. It's, it's a little bit more um, uh, broad as far as who they're trying to appeal to, as opposed to like a Refinery29, which is very female millennial focused. And so the kinds of stories that we take to those different platforms to pitch are are very different. But I think that it piggybacks actually a little bit off of what you're saying about this global about this global um, viewership which is that there's less niche content now, I think. Okay. Anything that we're developing, so we're starting very specific because I think that that's what makes a good story is when you're starting with a character or you're starting with an incident that is specific and fleshed out and, like I said, whole and complete as far as you know humanness is concerned um, or, or the human experience of the event or whatever it is. But saying, you know, what are what are like the bigger themes here, and how can we really um, how can we really think about tailoring the story to to hold a lot in a short amount of time? And you know, I, I'm gonna I, I do write a little bit, but it's it's I'm I'm certainly more of an actress, sure, uh, and and a, and a you know creative producer than I am I'm a writer, so I, I leave it to those. Um, brilliant minds to figure out exactly how that's done but that's often the ask you know is like how can we take a specific story with a, you know a real human being and and offer um, a, a greater sort of thought-provoking question uh, in in that in that storytelling sure no, that's that's interesting. Does that and, answer the question? Yeah, no, no, totally. And and I think like the other thing that just kind of got me thinking is like there's entire g- p- generations of people that are making a really really good living just posting videos to YouTube, right? And so you like you you guys are probably in a, a really kind of interesting time in history because you could basically post your content to YouTube you could probably get it on like actual kind of classic cable TV and then may probably post it on some other channels or, or maybe even in theaters if, if you shoot a movie or, you know, at least some film festivals and such. But but I think the fact that there's all these kind of different mediums and you might even edit the content a bit different or in length based on kind of where you're posting, posting it or kind of where you're showing the content, I, I think... That's to me at least is kind of fascinating about where we are kind of in history and and how you guys can kind of play with play with the content like that. Do you find that at least? Yeah, I think you know it's 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 a it's a it's certainly a fun time to be doing this and and the reason again sort of almost to go back to the beginning like why this whole uh, business plan you know where it was sparked from was was this desire to really authenticate and to really uh, sort of spread the skill of, of storytelling and, and development um, across multiple platforms and multiple mediums. And, you know, as I'm thinking about, you know, essentially what you're talking about, it sounds like is, is a distribution model sure. and, and how there's a lot of, you know, I think this sort of idea of like throwing something up onto YouTube and there are people that are making so, I mean, insane amounts of money. Yeah, like millions of um, dollars making, a year. You know, making <laughs> seriously making videos of themselves, like putting makeup on. And yep. there's obviously a market for that. And I and I think that we're trying to capitalize on that sort of movement. Okay. And also maintain the integrity of a, of a traditional storytelling structure. Gotcha. And so, you know, a film that I'm in 
was accepted into a film festival. Uh, and so, you know, we're planning to think about that and that release and the audience viewership for that. And that is like a very traditional, like red carpet into the theater, it, you know, reviews, releasing it in, you know, magazines. It's all this kind of very standard stuff. Sure. And then on the other side of that, we had a development meeting earlier today about uh, one of our digital series, which we're hoping will, you know, serve sort of there will be a, it'll be a couple episodes that will live on the web and that we have the possibility to take it into traditional TV. Then we have another series, which really exists exclusively online. We don't really see a life for it on cable or network, that we don't see a film version of it, that we don't really see it. There maybe are multiple seasons online, but it is, it is very specifically a digital series. And so I think it really is, it's asking what the story needs and, and how to best tell it. No, I, I love that. I, I think that's kind of great. And I'm, I'm curious, though, do you find that it's maybe or or that maybe I maybe this is too general of a question, but that okay. there's at least a lot of people that if if it's coming from like a smaller maybe independent kind of studio where it seems more authentic than if it's coming from kind of a you know big kind of network or or big kind of production it's company. Yeah, like do you, do you think that's a fair statement? At least I think some people think that it's kind of more authentic. You know, we're thinking about that a lot, actually, and especially, again, being based in New York instead of in Los Angeles. Um, it, it is it is a huge part of our, of our conversations um, between, you know, Audrey and myself. And I think that the way that I would answer that question is to say that the studios are huge institutions. Sure. They have been operating for a long time. There are a lot of, you know, people that need to sign off and give the green light and jump through a hoop and all of this stuff. And so I think it's just a slower process by by of of you know the the system um, been set up and so this sort of when I was talking earlier about you know the internet being very reactive and having digital content really able to sort of be spit out within hours of something happening sure um, and that it just it just speaks to how many people are in charge you know and, and and how many different levels of people need to okay something before there's money spent to it and I think that it's also really a money thing right like if you're spending hundred million dollars on a film well you're going to want to audience test it you're going to sure. want to make sure that you know all of your stars have the right box office numbers you're going to want to make sure that everybody's getting paid the right amount to be working on this kind of thing whereas in digital stuff it's like people are paying in some cases like for even like for very professional digital content like five grand a minute yeah and if it's a five minute piece it's like that's a really short or it's a really it's a really cheap episode yeah no and fair you don't have to like, I think, again, we're talking about risk aversion a little bit. No, yeah, I, I think that's great. And it gets me kind of just thinking about this stuff, right? Because obviously, like, I'm a content creator myself. And I've, I've noticed just even posting certain episodes or certain things on different kind of social media channels, the response can be like 180s from each other and trying to figure out what works one place, you know, doesn't work other places and just... For, for Absolutely. Me, and for me, at least, it's a bit of a struggle sometimes saying like, oh, is this going to work there? Or how do I tweak it to work there? Or And, and you know, it, it's probably obviously harder as you're putting out different things in kind of different verticals that maybe loosely tie together or maybe similar. But it gets a little bit more challenging when you're doing a product or a project about, say, I don't know, like women's health for in you know another part of the world or you're doing something maybe a little bit more entertainment focused right putting those out on the same channel is probably exactly. a bit 
bit of a struggle, right? Or at least to find both yeah. audiences. No, I think that's right. I mean, I think it's it's a good metaphor, right? And I'm and you know there are people that are experts in social media, and it's not me, but it's sort of like you know if you were to post a 140 character uh, you know, thought on Instagram, that's not going to have the same life as if you post an 140 character you know well thought out um, interesting thought on Twitter. Totally. It's just like it, what 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 is required by the platform, and and what are the best ways to get information out, and and I think that that's something that definitely millennials and, and younger. And I would say that, you know, I, I don't think that it's it's relegated exclusively to that population. I think that adults really, I mean, adults, that's a, a silly thing to say, but, um, you know, that, that not the baby boomers and that whole, you know, all those, those generations, that, um, that that they understand that too, that it's, it's a very, it's such a part of our world now yeah. that there's almost like a, it's a very intuitive kind of thing. It's it's hard to articulate sometimes, but I, I think you're absolutely right. No, that's that's great. But sadly, we're coming to the end of the show. So maybe let's close with mentioning where people can get more information about yourself and any of the projects that you're involved in and want to mention. Absolutely. So we'll be launching my website soon, but you can find me at www.jessjacobs.com and on Instagram and at Jess Jacobs X and the same on Twitter. Perfect. Well, Jess, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to be on the show and I look forward to keeping in touch with you and have a good rest of your day. Thanks so much, Kevin. It's been a blast. <laughs> Thanks. We'll talk soon. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. The music for the show is done by Electric Mantra. You can check them out at electricmantra.com and keep playing the future.